Thanks, Brian. Good morning, good morning. Good to see you guys. All right, well, hey, it's great to be with you and just to participate in this series that we've been going through in the year of biblical literacy, and now we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I feel really fortunate. I was given a great passage. Sometimes when you're part of a teaching team and you're going through the Bible and they say, hey, will you teach on this? It's like, oh, that's because nobody else wanted, you know, that, that portion. Uh, but not this morning. I was given an awesome passage of scripture and I'm really excited to get into it and just to be here with you guys. Um, then my wife and I, Katie, have two kids. We've been part of this church family for a really, really long time. I've been going to Calvary since college days in 2002 uh, and I just love this church family and I'm thankful for our teaching staff and just get a chance to, to open the word and to get to share with you guys this morning. So you guys ready? Sound good? Um, before we get into it, this passage this morning is all about Jesus and his fulfillment of the law, the law and the prophets. So we're going to be talking about the law, and it's a great passage. We're going to look back at some things in the Old Testament and ways in which Jesus fulfilled the law. But before we get into that, just thinking about the law, a couple of statements about even our own law, our own country, things that are going on. But real quick, just by, by show of hands, how many of you have ever been in trouble with the law in here? Anybody ever been in trouble with the law? We've got a lot of hands. Some people kind of sheepishly... And I don't mean like, you know, uh, robbing a bank type of trouble, right? But maybe even like speeding. How many of you have ever been pulled over? Some of you guys have been pulled over. It, isn't that the worst feeling? It's the worst feeling. You, the, you know, your stomach just comes up to your throat. I was driving the other day and the cop like pulled around really fast and turned around. I, I was like, I'm done. You know, I'm done. What did I do? Am I going 100? I don't know. And, and, and we've all had that feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble with the law. And depending on the severity of it, you know, the level of anxiety, you know, may be higher or lower. Um, real quick, by, by a story, when I was a uh, senior in high school, I was a little bit old for my grade, so I was able, I was already 18, so I could check myself out of, out of high school. You know, you need a, like a parent permission thing. I could just check myself out. Well, I had a dentist appointment kind of midday. It was the only time the dentist could fit me in. I didn't have, you know, I had to have a cavity filled or something like that. And I had a, you know, a, a lower class load, so I was able to just check myself out of school and go to this dentist appointment. I, I was able to drive, and so I was late. Anybody in here late ever? Ever? I'm late sometimes. Uh, didn't wasn't any different in high school, and so I was late to this dentist appointment. And I knew that if I went a certain route to get to the dentist appointment, I could go through this residential. So I turn off on a residential street, and it kind of wound up and over a hill, and I could save four or five minutes if I went this route through residential. So. I was, you know, leaving school, kind of in a hurry, rushing, all of a sudden I'm turning, going, and before I know it, I'm in the residential, going up and, what's the speed limit in residential? 25. I'm going up and over this hill, and all of a sudden, I hear sirens, and I hear a police officer coming super fast behind me. And all of a sudden, he, you know, he pulls me over, and I was like, this is weird, how did, I didn't even see him, I didn't even know he was behind me, how did he, you know, find me way back here in these residential? He said, I, he had been following me from campus. He said that I had been speeding almost the whole way and that I had went through eight, or not eight, sorry, that I had went through multiple stop signs. <laughs> and then he thought that I knew that he was behind me, following me, and so he was basically saying, why are you trying to evade, which I didn't even know what that word meant, but he thought I was trying to evade him as a police officer and that I was trying to, basically that I saw him behind me, that I had been speeding, and that I went this unique route through the residential to get away from him So I quickly realized I am in trouble with the law. And, you know, I just basically said, officer, I'm really sorry. I didn't know you were behind me. I didn't, I wasn't trying to speed. I'm a little bit late to a dentist appointment. And I was, this was just a shortcut. And he rolled his eyes like, yeah, right. You know, like now I'm lying to him. 
One I was trying to evade, now I'm trying not to lie to him. I was like, no, I, I mean it. I, I, that's why I went this way. And, and so he was like, I don't, I don't believe that. And, and so he calls our campus security guy, who I knew. I had a relationship with him, to try to verify my story. And so he eventually comes behind the officer, and they're talking for a while. Uh, and I had my, you know, slip. Basically, he starts to realize that my story was true. I was, uh, I could check myself out of school. I was over 18, and I did have this dentist appointment that I needed to be at. And this officer, because I knew him, and he knew me, and, and my character for the most part, you know, in high school, he, he, he vouched for me. And he said, look, I know this kid. He's a good kid. You know, he, he made a mistake today. I think if you just go threaten him, he'll get, he'll get it, and he'll, and he'll, and he'll you know, figure, figure things out. And so the officer eventually came back, because when he first approached me, he was fuming, and I realized I could be in serious trouble. One, if I just got tickets for all the things that I had done wrong, but then potentially this whole thing about evading, whatever that was, it was serious. And the officer came up, and he said, he said, he said, you know what? Today's your lucky day. If it wasn't for him, you'd be in a lot of trouble. But because he knows you, and he vouched for you, I'm going to let you go with a warning. And he let me go. I was late to my dentist appointment. <laughs> but because of my relationship with the Camp security and him vouching for me on my behalf, even though I deserved justice and deserved whatever I would have gotten, I was able to, to go free. And we'll, we'll tie back into that in the story, but today is, is talking about the law. Because the reality is we have our laws in our country, but God also has his law, a moral law. And I think when we look at it, when we look at the scripture, we find that as human beings, because of sin, we are in trouble with God's law. And we're going to be talking about how, what Jesus has done to fulfill the law and different things about that. Also, just another kind of point with the law, um, you know, the reality is, in our country, it's a significant time related to the law, a different, different topic. Tomorrow, our president appoints uh, a Supreme Court nominee, or he appoints somebody that he w- would want to be the Supreme Court nominee, which could have huge ramifications for law in our country. And there's been a lot of debate, and not to get too political, but this is kind of political, there's a lot of debate and discussion about what will ha- happen with that. Are they going to, is the Supreme Court going to try to abolish past laws? A couple months ago with the school shootings, there was talk about people wanting to abolish the Second Amendment. And, and when those topics come up, it can get really heated, it can get really sensitive. The question of law in our country and the ramifications of those laws for, for our citizens and for, for society. And so even right now, it's a, it's a tense time of law in our country. And I bring that up because even in mentioning those things, we all kind of get you know, a little bit of angst. or it's, you, you know how uh, divisive those subjects can be in our country if you watch the news at all or anything like that. Or we all have our own convictions or opinions. Fortunately, we don't have to talk about, answer those questions or talk about politics this morning. But I bring that up to, to, for us to realize that there's tension about law and its role and its influence in society. And it was no different in Jesus' time. There was a lot of debate about the law. Pharisees' whole uh, job description or their whole role or position was all about the law and understanding the law and interpreting the law and trying to apply the law. And Jesus is entering the, the scene, giving the Sermon on the Mount, which is about the law, in that very tense environment. Does that make sense? Which is why I bring up even our own country, because we can maybe sympathize with some of the, the tension that goes on related to law. So that's where we're at. Matthew 5 uh, is our passage, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Let me pray, and, uh, and we'll dive into it. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you again for our church family and the opportunity that we have to study your word, to learn more about you, Lord, to understand how we can deepen a relationship with you. And this morning, I just pray, Lord, that you be present with us. Give me the, the words to speak, to accurately teach your word, help it to be clear. 
And Lord, in the end of this, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be exalted, that you would be esteemed, and that we would celebrate the truth and the reality of what it means that you have fulfilled the law and all the different ramifications of that. Lord, we just submit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read this passage, and we will, we'll, we'll dive into it. Uh, we have some Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, feel free to raise your hand. We'll get you one. And, um, yeah, you can follow along. Mostly be in Matthew 5, but we're going to jump around to a couple other supporting passages as well. It's on the screen. Okay, so let's, uh, let's read this. Jesus, and again, this is on the Sermon on the Mount, so it's one of Jesus' initial sermons. He's speaking to the masses, so there's a lot of people listening to this, his disciples and others, mostly uh, Jews, um, but probably some Gentiles as well. And they are, Jesus is sitting down and he's beginning to expound on the law and he's beginning to teach them about the kingdom of God. And so we've already heard about, you know, the blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted. And last week we talked about how we are the light of the world and how we should let our good, you know, we should, um, uh, how our good deeds should um, reflect God on God's glory. And um, this idea that what it means to be the light of the world. And so now we're going to be continuing that. And this is in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's the passage that we're going to be talking about and kind of expounding on. And in this first part, we see where it says, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we see a lot of different reasons for why Jesus came. Right? When he first calls his disciples, says, Come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We hear him say that the Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save those who were lost. Right? He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, it says. But here he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, or but to fulfill them. So he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And in Jesus' teaching, he teaches a number of things that um, challenge some of the common understandings about the law. He goes on in this passage to talk about, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I tell you, if you anger or hatred towards your brother, that's the same as murder in your heart. And he's going to expound and, 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 and challenge certain things about the law. And he's first giving a preface to say, hey, listen, as I teach about the law and as I teach about the kingdom of God, I did not come to abolish the law. He was establishing a new covenant, but he wasn't doing away with the law. The law and the prophets had a role and a responsibility. And this morning we'll talk a little bit about what is the, the role of, of the law and the prophets. What did, what did they do and how did Jesus actually fulfill them? So he says, I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what does it mean for him to fulfill the law? Um, we're, there's two parts, two parts to this that I think are really significant. Okay? Um, first, he came, uh, why did, what does it mean for Jesus to fulfill the law? He obeyed the law perfectly, so he came to, um, to obey the law. And he's also the fulfillment of the prophecies and the predictions made in the books of the law. So two things. Jesus fulfilled the law in terms of what it foretold. And he fulfilled the law in terms of what it demanded. 
Jesus fulfilled God's law in terms of what it foretold about the Messiah and about the future and about God's reign in the world. And he fulfilled the law in terms of what it demanded in terms of perfect obedience for one to be right in a right standing with God. Is that, pretty, is that clear? That makes sense? So that's some of the significance of what he did in fulfilling law. He fulfilled what it foretold, and he fulfilled what, fulfilled what it demanded. And this is really significant. So if you look in, uh, in Luke 24 through 25, I think we have that too. Jesus, after his resurrection, he's talking with, uh, he, he's, there's, um, two of the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus was a small town about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were walking this, this trek. And Jesus catches up to them. His appearance, his, his identity is kind of hidden from them at this time. And he's talking with them. And, and on, the, on the way, he says this. He says, oh foolish ones. So he's talking to them for a while. And they, he basically saying, hey, what's been going on? Because they're really distressed. They're, they're concerned about, you know, Jesus having been crucified. They've heard rumors about the resurrection. And they're wrestling through the ramifications of that and all the questions. And Jesus is asking them. And they're basically telling him you know, about the resurrection, like, hey, yeah, you have, how did you not even, you haven't heard about this? <laughs> it's kind of ironic, right? And he says to them, he says, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then it says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and things concerning himself. Pretty cool. What an incredible you know, little sermon to be at or to hear Jesus teach this, teach this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. So he's beginning to reveal to these guys all of the, the messianic prophecies and all the things that were foretold in the Old Testament and in the law, in the law of Moses, the Torah, and in the prophets. Right? And all of the things and how they were foreshadows about him and what he was going to do and how he had to suffer how he would be born of a virgin, how he would rise from the dead, how he would perform miracles, all of these prophecies and truths, he began to expound on them. It goes on later, he gets back, and then he goes and appears to all the disciples, and he says again, he says, and he said to them, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. So when he's with them again, he says, you know, these are the words that were spoken to you while I was with you. Everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So you see how Jesus is basically saying the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, even the Psalms, these passages all spoke things that foreshadowed my life, my coming, and what I would do and what I would, what I would accomplish on the earth. And I am a fulfillment of all of the things that it was foreshadowing. You see that? And we'll look at a couple of those, those prophecies and those, those uh, significant points that he, you know, you can just imagine what were the, 
references that he would have, you know, chapter and verse weren't in the, in, in the Hebrew Bible in the same way that it is today, but, you know, as he would have went into these portions of Scripture and he would have expounded to them, and then their eyes would have been opened and they would have started to understand, and just like, wow, if you've ever had those, that light bulb moment, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't see that coming. You know, if you ever watched a movie and there's a plot twist, and then it's like, oh, that's what was happening all along. And they begin to understand what God has been doing in redemptive history and how Jesus is the fulfillment. And they would have reflected back on his life, like, wow, when you said this, when you did this, when, when you died in this way, all of that was fulfilling the law and the prophets. So Jesus fulfilled the law in terms of what the law foretold about the Messiah. And then in verse 18, if we go back to our, our main text, it says, For truly... I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So he's saying, the law of Moses and the prophets, the Old, Old Testament, it is essential to understanding the gospel message. Um, sometimes we, we place more emphasis on the New Testament, the New Covenant. Sometimes we feel like, well, what's the purpose of, of the law? When we think about the law, just, to, just for some context, when we think about God's law in, in the, in the in, in a Jewish sense, you basically have three parts to the law. You have the moral law, and then the civil law, and the ceremonial law. And so the moral law, the Ten Commandments, given to Moses on Mount Sinai, which is counted you know, in, in, in Deuteronomy 6, Exodus 20, you have the Ten Commandments, which is the moral law of God. It reveals the character and nature of God, his, his holy, just uh, standard for right and wrong, and it reveals his nature. And it was given to the people of Israel uh, for, for various purposes. One, to help them see they understand the nature and character of God so that they can strive to, to follow it and, and honor God and be different from the rest of the world, to be a light to the nations, but also to really show them their need for redemption, that they were broken and fallen. And we'll see if we have time at the end to show a little video. There's this pattern in, in the Old Testament where law was given and then the, the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, would break those laws. And then they would have to be restored through covenant, through festivals through sacrifice. And then more laws would be given and more laws would be broken. And again, laws would be given and more laws would be broken. And it's this continual cycle of, of laws being put forth for the people and then failing in and of themselves to fulfill them. So you actually have 613 or so laws uh, in, in, the, in, the, um, in the Torah, in the uh, Law and the Prophets. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they would study these and memorize these and begin to, to carry these out. A lot of the laws had to do with, there was, there was rituals, uh, there was had to do with how you did sacrifices, uh, how you followed the different festivals, Yom Kippur, and all of the different holidays in, in, in the Jewish calendar. All of these things were different laws given for them that the people were supposed to follow. Again, to teach them how to live and follow God and also to set them apart as unique from, from other countries, other nations. But they again and again and again would fail to fulfill uh, these commands and these laws. And so Pharisees and, and, and teachers of the law, they would study it. They would write additional things that gave us the Talmud, which are Jewish teachings, and the Mishnah, and all of these laws. They would continue to expound and expound and write more and more and try to understand and interpret. Before you know it, I mean, there were so many laws and laws about laws and commentaries about laws that it, it was pretty ex exhausting. And Jesus comes in and, and really simplifies it, which we'll see at the end. He says, uh, but, he, but he also says that, hey, look, none of these laws are going to go away. They have a role. They have a place. He says, will not pass until all is accomplished. So they won't go away until all is accomplished. That word accomplished, uh, looked it up briefly in the Greek, it's uh, ginomai, 
It means basically till all these things come to pass or to arise. The idea of, for it to appear in history, I like this one, it says to come upon the stage. So he's saying that the law and the prophets, they had a role, okay, until everything was accomplished. So in Christ's second coming, when he returns and so on, when, when he comes back on the stage, right, and all of these, these laws will be fulfilled, all of the prophecies will be fulfilled, they have a purpose and a role to foreshadow to Christ. You see that? Until it is accomplished. And this is, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We see Jesus use that idea of being least or greatest uh, at other places in Scripture. The, the apostles come to him and say, and say, Hey, Jesus, you know, when you, you get to glory, can we sit at your right hand or your left hand? Right? Who, who's going to be the greatest when we get into your kingdom? And he says, hey, Look, you know, if you want to be great, you must become the least. You must become the servant of all. Jesus' kingdom was so different than the kingdoms of this world. But here he says, he says, those who teach these commandments, um, sorry, it says here, it says, that whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. So again, he's putting an emphasis that that the law of God has great value, it has a role, it has a place. And then he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been a challenging verse or passage or teaching for people to hear. Because who were the scribes and Pharisees? Who, who were the scribes and Pharisees? They were the best. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones that everyone looked up to and said, oh, wow, they're the, they're, the, they're the holy ones. They're the good ones. If anybody deserves it, if anybody has earned it, if anybody gets it on their own merit, it's, it's these guys. And Jesus says, look, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Imagine if, uh, if I had if said to you, or if, if, if you were told, unless you are more godly and do more good deeds than Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., and Malala, combined, you can't go to heaven. Imagine if somebody told you that. Well, how would you feel? How would that leave you, you feeling? A little bit hopeless, right? A little like, ah, don't quite, quite live up to that. And, and Jesus is kind of doing that. He's basically putting people in a place of starting to realize or understand that based on your own effort and merit in trying to obey the law, it's not sufficient. And what that does, when we start to realize and understand how we fail to fulfill God's law perfectly, it shows us our need for a Savior. It shows us a need for redemption. It shows us a need for someone who can perfectly fulfill the law, which is where we're going, which is exciting. So the, the purpose of God's law, again, it was a foreshadow of, to, to Christ and, and who he would, what he would accomplish as the Messiah, but God's law is also reveals the nature and character of God, and it's, a, it's, it's an affront. It's a challenge to fallen and broken sinful man. God's law helps us see our, our brokenness and how we have failed to live up to God's standard so that we will see our need for a Savior, for a Messiah. That's another purpose and role uh, of God's law. Just to kind of emphasize that, a few verses really quick about that. In uh, Romans 3.20, it says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
So when we think specifically of, of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, one of the things that God's moral law does is it helps us see our need for a Savior. I remember going through this in, in high school. You know, I would compare myself to some of my friends, and maybe I didn't party as much or do as much as some of them. And it was easy to think like, oh, well, you know, I don't smoke or drink, or I'm trying to save myself from marriage. I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And when you talk to a lot of people, you know, you ask, you know, are you, are you a good person? You know, usually, what, what do we do? We think, well, compared to Hitler, I'm doing great. Compared to Mother Teresa, I'm not quite there yet. Right? Isn't that kind of... And, but I'm, 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 you know, I'm middle of the road. I'm, doing, I'm better than most people. The people around me, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And it's easy to compare ourselves. The way we get our standards for goodness is we compare ourselves to those around us, and there's usually somebody worse out there. Right? Maybe that's why people like watching, you know, who knows, like soap operas and all this kind of stuff. It's like, makes you feel better about yourself. You see people at reality TV. It's like they're all doing all this horrible stuff. But when we compare ourselves to others, it might make us feel a little better about ourselves and our moral abilities, but it doesn't impress God. And I remember in high school, being on a run at like 2.30 in the morning, couldn't sleep one night, being on this run, and I remember praying, and just being like, God, I just, you know, I don't remember exactly how I asked it, but it was like, Lord, show me myself apart from, apart from grace. I know that I've been forgiven. I know that I have the righteousness of Christ, that I'm forgiven of my sin through the gospel. But apart from that, if it was just me by myself, you know, I almost it was like, Lord, help me see myself apart from you. I don't, it wasn't the exact words, but it was something like that. And I remember just having this glimpse, and God just kind of exposed some of my heart and showed me my depravity, my selfishness, my pride, my self-righteousness. And even in the good things that I would try to do, it was always mixed in wanting the praise of people, or, hey, look at me. And God started to show me, in light of his law, how fallen and broken I really was. When we look at those commandments, you know, uh, we see the first one, the, the nation of Israel. I'm the Lord your God, I have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven image or bow down to any idols. And we see them building the golden calf. But we also have put idols in our life. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. Don't covet your neighbor's goods. All of these things, when we start to look at them, we realize, man, I've done those things. And I know for me, it's, it's, it's convicting. And it was at that time, it continues to be, and it shows me my urgent need for a, for a savior, for someone who can forgive me of my sin. It doesn't matter how I compare myself to my friends in high school. How do I compare before a holy, just God? And in light of his law, I fall desperately short. Is that fair to say? Amen? Is that true for us as well? And so the law brings the knowledge of sin. 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, because sin is lawlessness in the ESV. Other translations say that sin is transgression of the law. So what is it to sin? It's to violate God's standard of right and wrong. James 2.10 says, If you break the law on just one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. Katie was telling me this illustration. It was like, imagine there's this, you know, ravenous dog on a chain connected to a wall. It's a thick chain, right? And that dog's trying to come and get you. And somebody, you know, the whole chain's intact except for one little piece. They just cut one link in the chain. Would you feel safe around that dog? Not really. But the whole, the whole thing's intact except for just one, one, little, one little piece. It says if you break the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. That dog is going to... Going to get you. Um, or another illustration, you know, if you're, if you're in the mall, you, we don't really have a good, we have a mall in Santa Maria, I guess. We know if you go into stores and they put those little, like, uh, sensor things on the clothes, really hinders your ability to, to steal the clothes, which I think is the point, right? <laughs> those, those little, they put those little sensors on it. And you can imagine, you know, you try to go through the door and it has that, that thing. And, and, you know, you could have tried to, if somebody was trying to steal the clothes from the, the store in the illustration, you know, you could, you could have ten pieces, ten garments or ten pieces of clothing and, 
you know, however you want to organize it to, to get through the, the thing, obviously those 10 things are going to set off the alarm. But even if you just have one pair of socks that you're trying to steal in your pocket with that sensor, is it going to set it off? It is. If you break the law in just one point, you're guilty of, of breaking the whole thing. What, what God's word... <laughs> I don't know if I, was, I wasn't sure I was going to share this illustration. I heard this, you know, you guys maybe heard the illustration of like making brownies, and you're, you know, you're making brownies. You guys know where I'm going with this. And somebody just puts a little bit of dog poop in the brownies. Would you eat the brownies? Just a little bit. It contaminates the whole thing. Is that right? Bad illustration. We're not doing a bake sale today, so it's okay. The point is this that just a little bit of sin, or whether it's a lot of sin, and the reality is for most of us, we've done a lot of things. That, that violate God's law, it's, it, it sets us apart from him. And so God's law reveals that to us. In Galatians 3.24, it says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law was our guardian or schoolmaster to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So another purpose of God's law is to help us see our sin before a holy God and help us see our need for a Savior. And Jesus is doing that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's starting to show them their need for Christ. So let's, let's keep going real quick, just kind of get, get close to the end here. Um, so again, Jesus fulfilled what the law foretold and he fulfilled what the law demanded. In other words, even though we have fallen short, we have violated God's standard of right and wrong, he didn't. And we're going to see that. So three things. If we go to the next one, three ways that Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law by fulfilling prophecy and establishing his authority as Messiah. We talked about that already. Do you see that? So he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy and he established his authority as Messiah. He fulfilled the law by satisfying the justice of holy God through his atoning sacrifice and his perfect life. So the second way that Jesus fulfilled the law was that he perfectly obeyed God's law, that he was without sin. We'll see that in a couple passages. And in doing that, he was able to be a perfect sacrifice. Just like in the Old Testament, they had to have a perfect, unblemished lamb. He was able to be a perfect sacrifice before a holy God to atone for the sin of sinful humanity. And then the third part, he fulfilled the law by obtaining righteousness for sinful man. In other words, he accomplished a righteousness that we could not accomplish ourselves in our own life. He accomplished it on our behalf so that through faith in him, we could receive his righteousness. You see that? So real quick, let's go, let's go through a couple of them. By fulfilling prophecy and establishing his authority as Messiah and King. We've kind of already talked about that a little bit. I actually have, I printed it. Um, this is, a, this is a document that has 365 messianic prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ or would, would be fulfilled in his second coming. They either were fulfilled in his first coming or would be fulfilled in his second coming. Things like in Isaiah 3.53 that talks about over a thousand years before Christ, about how he would be pierced in his hands and his feet, how he would um, be the sacrifice for our sins. So if, any, if you want afterwards, you guys can actually come up and, and, and take a look at that. I, just, I brought it. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, Isaiah 7 talks about the virgin birth. Isaiah 53 about how Jesus would live a sinless life. Isaiah 53, 5 about the crucifixion. Psalms 22 talks about his resurrection. Again and again and again, there's prophecies about Christ's life. I just picked out a few, and this is an incredible thing you could study and go into a lot more, more depth about. Let's go to the next one. To satisfy the, 
the justice of a holy God through his atoning sacrifice or through his life. In Matthew 26, 39, it says, and going a little farther, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is saying, look, if there's any other way for me to not have to go through the cross, to not have to, to, to um, endure this horrific suffering, for you to be able to redeem fallen man, if there's any other way. But he says, not my will. Let this cup pass from me. He says, not my will, but thy will be done. In other words, Jesus had to be a perfect sacrifice, and he had to give his life up as a sacrifice because sin had to be punished. And Jesus punished Christ on the cross in our place. Incredible. In John 8, 29, it says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In other words, it pleased the Father when Christ suffered on the cross because he is a holy and just God. He has to punish sin. It's heavy. But it was necessary. And that's what Jesus fulfilled. When he says, I didn't come to abolish law, but to fulfill it, this is one of the things that he was fulfilling. Being a perfect sacrifice and one that was worthy to take upon the sin of the world upon himself. And then the last part, to accomplish the righteous life that we have not, um, that we could not live. This is, to me, I think one of the most profound truths of the gospel. Um, those four words, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Those four words have so much, if you, in terms of the, the historical and theological ramifications of those four words, there's so much packed into that. We could spend an entire sermon series or a year going through that and not fully unpack it. And we just get to look at a little bit of it today. But this one is so significant that Jesus lived the purpose, perfect life that we could not so that through faith, we can receive his righteousness. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him who, had, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympath, uh, sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet was without sin. 1 John 3.5 says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That first one, he made him who, had, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Philosophers have called it the great exchange, that God took our sin and put it on Christ and takes his righteousness and puts it on us through faith. Amen? That's, that's the truth of the gospel. So, kind of in, in, in summary, if you go to the next one, we see that Jesus established the law of love. He says, look, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I fulfilled what it foretold in terms of the prophecy about the Messiah, and I fulfilled what it demanded in terms of the righteous standard of God, so that I could be a perfect sacrifice, and so that I could earn a righteousness for you, and for you, and for you, and for me, that we could not obtain in ourselves. That's something to celebrate, Right? That's something that's it's huge, that's really profound. But then he says, I didn't come to abolish law, I came to fulfill it. And then later in his teachings and so on, we see that Jesus establishes the law of love. So in Deuteronomy 6.5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In Matthew 22, expounding on that, Jesus says, uh, 22, 37-40, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophet. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. So Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. He says the, the commandments of the law should be taught, right? The, the Judeo-Christian faith is it's what we see from the Torah and how that foreshadowed Christ and all of these laws that were taught. We need people to understand them. We need to know them. We need to, to know what the Ten Commandments are so that we can know our need for, for a Savior. So these things should be taught. They should be understood. But all of them point to Christ. And then Christ says, look, and they're all summarized in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others, which is what our church talks about all the time. So you see how, how it comes through Christ. He fulfilled the law, and now he gives us this, this new covenant rooted in faith in Christ and love for God and love for others. So if we have a deep and profound understanding of the law and its relationship to a holy God and sinful man, it's very important. Since Jesus has fulfilled the law on our behalf, he has given us a new law of love, which when followed is the summation of the law. We are called to love God and love others. When I started off, I told that story about evading arrest or running from that officer, whatever was happening in that situation. And I shared how the campus officer, who I knew, he came and he vouched. He was an advocate for me. He vouched on my behalf. And because I knew him, I was able to go free. Jesus says, many on that day, on the day of judgment, people will say to me, Lord, Lord, look at all these great things I've done in your name. But he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, workers of iniquity. God's word tells us that eternal life is this, to know God and to know him fully. We have a great mediator between us and the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law, and he established his authority as the Messiah, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He proved that his claims to be God were true through the resurrection. He fulfilled what the law foretold. But he also fulfilled what the law demanded, and that he was a perfect sacrifice. He was sinless. And when we put our faith, our trust in him, his righteousness is given to us as a free gift. It's not about what we do in ourselves or what we accomplish in our own works. It's about what Jesus did on our behalf. And out of gratitude and love and, and, and what he's done for us, our life will be changed and transformed and we'll begin to honor him with a life of good works. That's the gospel, right? And hopefully this morning we can be reminded of the gospel. So I want to wrap it up uh, in, in prayer. Um, I hope that we will feel challenged. If, if you're at a place and you don't know Jesus or, or if you're just questioning or wrestling through some of these things, Please understand that what Jesus has done for us is incredible. We couldn't do it ourselves, and the law shows us that, but he did it on our behalf. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he's fulfilled it, and when we put faith and trust in him, we can have eternal life, we can have new life in light of what Christ has done. And if you do know him, hopefully you can be encouraged and reminded of these truths, and that we can, um, our motivation to want to, follow the Lord and to honor him in how we live um, would, would increase. That we would say, Lord, my life is yours. Thank you for what you've done in fulfilling the law. Help me now to honor you in the way that I live in light of what you've done. Let me pray. And uh, invite the band to come back up too. Lord God, thank you for this time this morning. I just thank you for the opportunity to teach your word and this incredible passage, Lord, that you came to fulfill the law and all of the significance, all the ramifications of what that means. 
Um, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that through faith in you we can have righteousness and a right standing with God. We thank you, Lord, that we can have the hope of eternal life. And Lord, didn't talk on it much, but Lord, just this truth that just as you fulfilled so many prophecies of the Old Testament in your first coming, we can have hope that you'll fulfill the rest in your second coming. And we have so much to look forward to, Lord Jesus, in your return. And so we just give you worship and praise, and we just thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to transition now into a time of response, a time of worship. Um, We have communion in the front and in the back. We have people 